read that together correctly yeah all right so we are in John chapter 14 next few verses from where we were last week verses 15 to 17 let's read the word together and please stand if you love me you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you thanks be to God let's pray father we thank you so much for this word that you gave through your son to your disciples then and to all disciples through all ages that assures us that we are not alone that we have a helper one who will help us through the middle years of our faith. Father, I pray that that helper would be with us here this morning with me as I seek to preach this word. Make me a vessel of that helper, that you would aid the hearts and the minds and perhaps the wary spirits in this room to know that they have help as they go through the middle. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So a little context to understand this passage. Uh, Jesus is with his disciples on the last night. Everything's about to go really bad in a very short amount of time. And he's giving these final instructions. And John 14 has been talking about encouragement. And he just said in John 14, 12b that I am going to the Father. So he is describing there not just uh, his departure to go to the cross and the resurrection and that brief window of interruption. He is actually talking about the, the long-term departure of the ascension where he is going to the Father, where you'll be at the Father's right hand. And so these disciples are now facing this reality that their companion, Jesus, is someone that will not be with them much longer. And so Jesus is dealing with what's next for them. They are about to be disciples without Jesus alongside them. They are going into the middle, the middle of, of faith where they have come to Jesus, but they will wait to meet Jesus again at the second coming. And so they are going into the middle, is what I like to call it, this period where they are going to be living by faith, not by sight, but by faith. Now that helps me because you are looking at a guy in the middle. This week, actually, I turned a huge milestone birthday-wise. I turned 40, which is the smack dab middle. I'm in the middle of a family. I'm also in the middle of not knowing what's next. I'm jobless. I was a pastor in uh, Baton Rouge, and that actually ended last June 28th. So I'm about to hit my one-year anniversary of joblessness. So can we go back to that? Uh, I wasn't ready to laugh at it yet. So that's, <laughs> that's where I'm at. And maybe you guys feel a bit like uh, Gary Larson's point of view, that, that your life is in the middle. You're in the middle somewhere. Everyone in this room is in the middle, but as I think about this message, there are two particular kinds of people that, that I think will be particularly ministered to in 
this message. And that is those who are in the middle who are feeling downtrodden. you've, You've come through a brutal stage of life. You feel crushed. You feel out of rhythm. You feel weakened and, and wearied. You're just downtrodden by the pressures of life, by the, by the uh, news feed that is constantly telling us you need to care uh, to 11 about this issue. And you don't know what to do. And I'm also thinking about those who are distracted. I mean, I know there are moms in this room that are spending all of their time with diapers and sippy cups, and they are not able to do their devotionals. And they feel like they are just scraping along, not growing. And they're wondering, you know, I used to have such verve in my faith, but it's, it's just cluttered up with all these things that I have to do. The same with men, the same with, with anyone in the middle of their career. You're, you're filled up with the busyness of life. You've come to faith, but you feel like your faith is sort of flat. And it's being crowded by distraction. There's a metaphor or an image that, that has come to my mind as I've been thinking about this verse, and that is the, the idea of the Oregon Trail. You know the Oregon Trail? It was a big 2,000-mile journey that people took in the 1800s to take themselves basically from Missouri all the way to the coast of Oregon where they were promised a new life, with new land, and, and a new place to live. But to get there, they had to cross 2,000 miles on wagon. It was slow. It was hard. It was a rutted experience for months on end. The the Oregon Trail, in my mind, is is a great picture of what the middle is. It's difficult. Nobody preaches to you about what to look forward to in the middle. We tell you about how fun faith is to start with and how great heaven's going to be, but then we spend all the time in the middle. And the middle is difficult. But the middle is also critical. Because if we don't make it through the middle, if we don't survive the middle, we don't make it to the end. And so maybe you're at a place downtrodden or or feeling distracted or feeling defeated. And you honestly ask the question as you look in the mirror, am I going to make it through the middle? The middle's killing me. Jesus knows in the verses that we're looking at, that the disciples' present faith won't make it. What the disciples have with them right now won't make it through the middle. In just a few hours, they're going to deny Jesus. They're going to run away from Jesus. They're going to hide behind locked doors in fear. The disciples are not equipped for the middle. And so these verses, these words that Jesus speaks are to address his disciples, to speak to them the sort of faith they will need to survive the middle. And these words are for us too. We need what Jesus tells us to survive the middle. How do we know we will make it? The words that Jesus gives us are the assurance that we will And so, as we go through this passage, we're going to ask the question, what sort of faith survives the middle? And we're going to see three characteristics. Faith that survives the middle is obedient. Faith that survives the middle is dependent. And faith that survives the middle is transformational. Let's look at verse 15 again as we look at that first point. Faith that survives the middle is obedient. 
Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Sometimes I get so annoyed that Jesus boils it down and makes it so simple. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That if statement, it's a completely neutral if. He says, if, if you love me, or you'll, you'll obey my commandments. If you don't love me, you won't obey my commandments. He's not, he's not predicting who he's talking to as being in the yes camp or in the no camp. He is just simply stating a matter of fact. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And so he sees two groups here. Those who will be yes to that statement and those who will be no by that statement. Now I want you to notice something in that very simple statement. The word love is the word Jesus is using for believer. That's the word Jesus means for faith. If you believe in me, you will obey my commandments. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. And so a simple purifying gut check about whether you have the faith that will survive the middle is whether you can take the statement, I believe in Jesus, and instead say, I love Jesus. Are those two statements equal to you? Because the faith that survives the middle loves Jesus. And how does, how does that love come out? How do we know there is love for Jesus? It's not sentiment. It's obedience. Jesus is not here commanding. He's not saying, obey my commandments and then you will love me. Or obey my commandments and, and then I will have your love. He is saying, if you love me, matter of factly, you'll obey my commandments. Now the Lord's commandments are kind of the map for our faith. Obviously, there is a lot of joy in obedience. But if we're honest, obedience is also very hard. Obedience can become very difficult in the middle. Like on the Oregon Trail, people who were obeying the map, following the instructions, were at best making 15 miles a day. That's four days to Lawrence. 15 miles a day across the Great Plains. Now you can imagine going across the Oregon Trail at 15 miles a day, that there could be a temptation to find a shortcut. Find a different path. There's got to be an easier way than this. And the same is true for those of us in the middle. My generation has coined a phrase, FOMO. Anybody know what FOMO means? Fear of missing out. Fear of missing out. And when your faith is in that 15 miles a day drudgery, and you're seeing your friends have fun, or your relation, other relationships going to the next level and having all of this ecstasy, or, or, or their jobs going further along because they're cutting ethical corners, your faith feels like fear of missing out. I will confess, sometimes I'm watching TV and these beer commercials come on, and I'm like, what's going on? I have never stumbled into one of these. What does it take to find yourself in one of these party commercials? Clearly the path that I am on doesn't have a lot of Budweiser trucks. And I sometimes have a little FOMO, just a little moment of just one. That's a temptation, right? We must resist those temptations, though. 
on the Oregon Trail, in fact, in the middle, after months of 15 miles a day drudgery, there was a, 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 an enterprising man who began to sell a map of a shortcut, one that he promised was faster, one that he was promised was easier. He said, you should take the Hastings Cutoff. His name was Hastings. And he offered that map to all of these wary travelers. And there was a group of 80 people who said, you know what? I'm sick of the middle. I'm sick of this path. I'm taking the Hastings Cutoff. And they went on that path. And that path led them astray. It led them into the mountains right as winter became quite severe. The winter was severe, they ran out of food, they starved, they froze. They were a group of 81, and when the trail was over, only 45 of them survived. The name of that group, we all know, is the Donner Party. The Donner Party is the illustration of leaving the path in the middle on the hope and temptation that there may be an easier, better, or more fun way. Beloved, the same danger is presented to you spiritually. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beloved, are you on the path of loving obedience? Do you recognize in yourself perhaps a, a strained spirit? Perhaps a, that you have diverted off into the easier way? Let me beg you, commit again to the way of faith, to the way of obedience. No one here has strayed from that path so far that they cannot repent immediately today and be put right back on it. Faith that survives the middle is obedient. But that way is hard. Jesus says that way is hard. And Jesus, who says the way is hard, knows that we cannot do it alone. He knows our needs, and that is why the second thing he tells his disciples is that faith that survives the middle is dependent. Look at verses 16 and 17 again. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. Again, Jesus is, is looking at two different groups. He is speaking to the disciples in contrast to the group of the world. What separates the disciple from the world in these verses? It's simple. It's their awareness of need. Their awareness of need. How do, how do we see that? Because Jesus is giving the disciples the paraclete. What is translated here is helper. 
And it is the helper that the world cannot receive. The world cannot receive? They're unable to receive the helper? Why? How so? What makes it impossible for the world to receive the helper? Well, let me ask you, do you like needing help? Do you want to be known as a needy person? My house is full of broken things. And my wife tells me, are you going to fix it? Yes, I'm going to fix it. But inside, I don't know how to fix it. And I can't ask for help. And so our house is just growing with broken things that my wife then takes to my father-in-law, who is a Mr. Fix-It, and that's how they all get fixed. But I can't ask for help. It is too humiliating to say, I can't fix this thing. And so I have a hard time asking for help. Basically, if we're in touch with our flesh, and none of you are in heaven yet, so you are, our flesh craves self-sufficiency. We crave independence. That's what growing up means. How many people are looking forward to college for the independence Independence points you away from help. And if you're pointed in the opposite direction of help, you can't see help. And you can't know help. And that's what Jesus is saying. Beloved, clinging to self-sufficiency threatens our faith. I want you to hear these words again from Jesus he, who told us in the parable of the soils these words, Mark four eighteen to 19. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. Jesus is talking about this third group of people who start on the way of faith, but the middle smothers it out, and it smothers it out by making those people more concerned about accruing wealth, accruing security, about managing the worries of their life, and suddenly they are unfruitful. You know, it's ironic, it's poignant that the Oregon Trail actually began in Independence, Missouri, which means if you're going to make any progress on the Oregon Trail, you had to leave Independence behind you. <laughs> now, some people learned that lesson very hard. They took on the Oregon Trail tons of stuff, extra supplies, extra possessions, extra treasure. They built their wagons to, to fill up with all of their self-sufficiency and their independence. But as you made progress along the trail, on the side, miles in, you would find all of these supplies and all of these possessions thrown away and dumped out 
Why? Because their commitment to self-sufficiency was actually preventing them from making the progress they needed to survive the middle. They had to get rid of their stuff. They had to trust others. They had to rely on the gifts that came ahead if they were going to make progress. The same is true for our faith. Some of you have a faith that has slowed down or ground to a halt or hasn't shown any measurable development in years. I would say look at what Jesus says in Mark chapter 4, 18 and 19. Do you perhaps find a source of your stalling? Has the pursuit of something else in your life, the acquisition of comfort, the growth in riches, the, the worries of the world, your Facebook feed smothered out, your faith? Has your self-sufficiency driven you away from the helper? You see, faith in the middle needs help. Needs help. And praise God, that's exactly what Jesus provides. Look again at verse 16. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. What does the helper give? Now, here's where commentaries go through pages to tell you what we should translate the word paraclete to mean. Some people think advocate. Some think comforter. Some think counselor. And they do that because they have seen in context that, that the word paraclete shows up in legal settings. And certainly the, the paraclete is going to defend you against the accusations of the evil one. But I think Jesus meant to use the most general term possible for the Holy Spirit on purpose. He doesn't want us to think of the Holy Spirit only helping in narrow ways. The helper is given to us in the most general sense. He is the helper who meets us in our need, whatever that need is, to get along the way. Now, I shared in the beginning that my last year has been a little bit difficult. A year ago, I lost my job. I had to make a quick decision that we needed to move. I had to figure out how to fit everything into a 25-foot U-Haul, which meant I had to throw a lot of stuff away. I had to do all of that, and I didn't know where this was going to end, where we were going to live, how we were going to find money. All of these things, suddenly, I hit, I don't know. I don't know. It's a very humbling experience at 39 and 40 to have everything about your life end with the response, I don't know. I don't know. What happened? What happened? Well, we found when we moved up to Kansas City, which is where we grew up, that there was already a job waiting for Becky, one that had been prepared for her years ago. 
We found a house that was just perfect for us, that put us right in Lee Summit in a, in a fresh community. And then when we moved in, we found that that was the weekend of the garage sale. And I kid you not, everything that we had to throw away was available for pennies on the dollar <laughs> at this garage sale. That was the helper. That was the helper. I don't know, but he knew. And he answered right on time every single thing as we took our steps of faith. Beloved, help usually comes by letting go. It usually helps, it usually comes by putting trust in the helper. I can't tell you how the helper is going to work, what the helper is going to do, but I can ask you this. Are you relying on the Spirit? Do you trust that the helper is sufficient? Beloved, he will take care of you. More. And this is where I want to focus the end of our sermon, which is still about 10 minutes. (laughs) The helper makes the middle meaningful. Makes the middle meaningful. Let's look at this third point. Faith that survives the middle is transformational. Why the middle? I mean, we, we, the middle stinks. I don't like the middle. It is, it is slow. How do you measure progress in the middle? How do you know you're a good parent? You don't know until they're in counseling 30 years later. <laughs> you know? How do you know? The middle is so frustrating. The middle is like the engagement period. Like, I told you I want to marry you. Why do we have to wait six months for flowers? Let's just get it on. Let's go with it. Let's hurry it up. Why the middle? And yet we all have to go through the middle. We all have to spend decades in the middle. Well, let me tell you something about the people on the Oregon Trail. Nobody who left Independence, Missouri, was prepared and equipped to be the homesteader that they needed to be when they arrived. But the trail, the challenges of the trail, the obstacles of the trail, the surviving the trail, made them hardy made them strong, made them capable homesteaders. And we know they were successful because now we live in a world with Portlandia. You know what that is. They tamed the frontier, but what they were at the beginning was not what they needed to be at the end. It was the middle that formed them. And it is the middle where the Spirit forms us into who we are to be. You're not sure? Not sure about this? Again, Jesus is looking at his disciples and he's seeing two versions. He is seeing the disciples that they are right now, and he is seeing that the disciples that they will become. You see that in the fact that right now they are fearful, they are cowering, they are confused, but soon they're going to be the disciples of Acts who are bold who turn the world upside down, who make the world Christian. What is the difference? It's verse 17. You know him, 
for he dwells with you and then in future will be in you. Will be in you is the key difference. See, Jesus could help the disciples as long as he was in the same room. But the moment Jesus wasn't in the same room, they were making all kinds of mistakes and trouble. But now the helper will be in them, never to leave them. Dwell on this. Jesus says, my spirit will be in you. Now, if God's spirit dwells in you, there is no possible way that you can be left unchanged. The spirit in you transforms you. And so you are put into the middle to walk with the spirit. And that spirit is working in you obedience and reliance and faith. So much so that the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Do you notice what's happening here? The Holy Spirit transforms Jesus' disciples, transforms you and me piece by piece. Not immediately, gradually, through the accumulation of faithful acts and faithful days that to you may seem like they don't add up to much. The sippy cups and the diapers, they become part of teaching you patience. The work day where you are put in the question of how are you going to build your time? What sort of spin on the truth are you going to make? And you choose truth and you choose honesty. No glory in that in that day. But it transforms you degree by degree more into the image of his son. And it is the accumulation of years and years and years of that that makes you radiate before him with the glory he radiates to you. And that is accomplished in the middle. Because of the last year, I don't wish joblessness on anybody. I don't wish moving on anybody. But because of the last year, I know him better. I know I'm not alone. I know these words. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Not as a memory verse, but as something lived. I know my days, and I know your days, even the tough ones, even the maddening ones, amount to something because the helper is with you. They are part of your sanctification. They are part 
of you arriving home. Be encouraged. The faith in the middle is never in vain. The Oregon Trail was 15 miles a day. But those who stuck with it, who kept making their 15 miles a day, they got there. They arrived. The middle is where the Holy Spirit is preparing you for your new home. So now, in conclusion, do not waste the middle. Do not waste the middle. You're in the middle, but there are some here who are not in faith. Are you on the way? Friend, if you are not in faith, then what you are living in right now is the middle of nowhere. And you know it. You can feel nowhereness is just blackening every part of your joy. Meaninglessness is just laying on your thoughts. And there is a terror. What's it all about? If you do not have faith, you are in the middle of nowhere. And here I have to say, where do you think you're going? Your best hope is that you end in nothing, that you end in black. But that's not what Jesus tells us. That's not what the risen one tells us is next for those who are in the middle without faith. Those who end the middle without faith end in destruction. Do not stay in the middle of nowhere. Hear these words from Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can leave nowhere. And you can be on the way that ends with Jesus right now. And for the rest of you, don't waste the middle Keep going. The middle is our journey home. And what a beautiful home is ahead for you. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.9, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. That is where you are headed. Let it lift you out of the drudgery of some of those hard middle days. Rely on the Spirit. He will bring you safely home. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that you know us. And in your Son, you have provided the way. Not only have you provided the way, you have provided the helper who will make sure that we do not leave the way, but that we arrive where your face smiles upon us and we experience the everlasting joy that puts all the trials and the tribulations and the setbacks and the drudgery of the middle into the vanishing point. Father, for those who are in the middle of nowhere, 
I pray that you would awaken their spirit, that they would turn to their knowledge that they need the helper, and that they would confess that they know Jesus is the forgiveness of their sins, that he is the risen Lord, and that they would place their faith in him. That they can do that simply by saying, I believe you are my Lord and my Savior. I follow you. And Father, to all who do that, let them know they have the helper to rely upon. In Jesus we pray. Amen.